So join me and my assistants as we get another insight into the marvellous and enigmatic world of showbiz here on Beyond the Title. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Billy Pierce. On this computer, there we go. So, uh, we'll get onto your major career highlights in a second, but I just want to talk about this year. How do you think the entertainment industry will recover from COVID and how different will the entertainment landscape look like in light of it? Ooh, well, while I've been locked up, I mean, locked down, I mean, kept down, um, I've been thinking about all this like everybody else is and all I can say is I've learned two new words one is conjecture and the other one is supposition because <laughs> that's all it is nobody really knows um, I think it's going to be totally different for quite a long time and I just hope I live long enough to get back on a stage <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will <laughs> Yeah. No, but it's a totally different, it, it's hard to even, I were only saying a year ago, you know, when I walked out of pantomime with my little dog under my arm and all that, and I never thought it would end and all the, my work would be cancelled, so it's a totally different game now. And I think that by the time they get audiences back in, it may, the rules and everything might be different and you know, it's, it is um, already changing, you know. Yeah. Theatres are talking about shutting and stuff, so it's a disaster, really. It is, yeah. Fingers crossed things can get back to some sort of normality. Yes, so, but it's hard to say. It's yeah. supposition and conjecture. It is indeed, yeah, spot on. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. Like so many entertainers of your generation, you began your career as a red coat at Butlins. Why do, you, sorry, why do you think this was a popular route into show business during this time? Um, well, bless you, Josh, for doing your own work, love. I mean, not many people know that. <laughs> and it's not the sort of thing that I, ever comes up. But I was, uh, I think it was about 1970 or something, and I got a job as a Butlin's red, red coat with a friend of mine. And um, we used to catch people climbing over the fence and then send them back to finish their holidays. <laughs> but the, the thing was, <laughs> they used to knock on your door and say, have you got a woman in there? You go, no. You say, yeah, you want one? <laughs> Every month we had lettuce for breakfast, we had lettuce for dinner, and we had lettuce for tea. So we could eat like one. <laughs> right. um, but, uh, un unfortunately, that weren't me. I went to Eastbourne, which there were all old people and stuff. It were, it were really big, you know, it were a different world altogether. So we did the whist drives and the um, had to set up the stuff for the um, church service and the um, 
tea dances and knobbly knees and all that, you know, they were all older people, bless them. Uh, but it was good experience. Uh, but at the time, the Redcoats used to put the Redcoats show on, so you got a chance to be involved in a proper show in the theatre. And the beauty of it was that you got to know all your audience before you went on stage, and um, you know they loved you before you started, sort of thing. So it was great experience. I only did one season, and then um, finished up doing the clubs. You know, became me and this other lad. I went to Bucklins with. We went back and started doing the clubs. So in a, in a lot of ways. I'm very grateful to Butlins and the way I don't I think it's a different ball game now. Uh, I mean, it was 1939 when I went, you know. <laughs> so um, it's a different world now compared to what it was when all those years ago when I first started. You know, it was one of the ways in because you also you had to have your equity card, and if you didn't have your equity card, you couldn't work anywhere. And um, if you only did two nights, it only applied for you had to so many weeks and all that so if you got a summer season at Butlins it was a, you were halfway there to get your equity card which gave you a chance to move on into theatres and things like that. I have spoken. <laughs> was it a bit like Heidi High? Um, uh, not so much. The, where we were, it were um, a, a place called Cliftonville, just outside um, outside Margate. I couldn't remember then. And there were three hotels, and uh, you, you sort of did a bit in one hotel and a bit in another one and a bit in another one. But they were mostly old old people. The, the holiday camps, um, you know, they were younger end and more families where they were, you know, the one I was working. They were, so the Redcoats, there were about six of us six or eight of us and we were all kind of forced to cram together you know it was a, a, a funny season I, I, at the end of it I can tell you I, I think I were on I came home with 60 pound I had which was an absolute fortune I'd saved it up all, over the summer and we were on I think we were on 15 pound each over the summer that's what we were on you know, was, you know that was loads of money though yeah different times <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I was grateful to Butlins. I think it was um, a, a good start for people like me. And of course, lots of other people started in Butlins. I was always a bit late, but I think Bob Monkhouse and, um, you know, all the um, big stars, Des O'Connor and all them did Butlins. And, you know, it was a great start for a lot of people in them days. I think Les Dawson and all that, people, you know, loads of people did it. It, you know, it was a great start. It was a leg up, really. Yeah, absolutely. So after that... Yeah, we're one of them now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you then reached the final of New Faces in 1986, a show that launched the careers of many of Britain's best-loved performers, including Lenny Henry, Victoria Wood, Marty Kane and Joe Pasquale. What yeah. sort of stigma was attached to these shows by other performers on the circuit? And in hindsight, how significant was this to the rest of your career? Um, well, it's a great question, Josh. Um, once again, bless you, love, you've really done your own work. Um, I don't know about the stigma bit. Um, I mean, for me, because I started basically in 1970, so it was called New Faces, so it took me 16 years to be a new face. 
<laughs> right? So um, it was a strange experience. I, when, when I, got, I did obviously go on there just by skinning my teeth. I, I went and auditioned at um, a club in Manchester and the bloke that was in before me, I said, what did they say? And he said, come back when you've got an act. <laughs> Oh, God. So I, I, I didn't get on, but somebody dropped out and I got on at last minute and I won the heat. But in the finals, there were 12, it took 12 acts to beat me. I took a real nosedive. And um, it was like devastating because I, I thought that um, it would give me a chance to do other things. But then, as it happened, just at the point of absolute depression and um, thinking that I'm going to go back to the same clubs to see the same people sat in the same chairs, you know, the same, you know, doing the same thing now after now. Um, somebody took a, a shine to me that had seen me and um, on my heat, it was mainly my heat, not the finals. So after that, I, I suddenly found myself um, doing some season with Dana LaRue in Bournemouth and things like that. So, and touring and stuff. So, it, it, it was great for me. Um, it, of course, New Faces was the forerunner of, you know, all the great talent shows and things that we have now, you know. Obviously, the prize isn't that much bigger, but, you know, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, it was terrifying for me. <laughs> it was, and still is. I spend my life shitting myself and being relieved. I shit myself going to work and I'm relieved when I drive home and I've got my money. That's a bit like him. It's <laughs> 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 right though. So anyway, I haven't missed all this not working business, you know what I mean? It was all right at first. I thought it was like an enforced holiday, so I didn't have to um I didn't have to worry about going to work. I wasn't panicking. I have to rehearse every day and all that, you know, especially getting old. And um, so it was kind of a bit heavy. And this, the weather was nice and all that. So it, it weren't too bad, really. It was like mixed feelings. It was like watching your mother-in-law drive off a cliff in your brand new Mercedes. Anyway. Two faces didn't do me any harm at all. No, it didn't do me any harm. It, it, it gave me a right good leg up, which I, I needed at the time, but it was very complicated. Yeah. When I took a right big nosedive at the end, that was, oh, I was so disappointed. There's a picture of me somewhere, and it's holding the winner up. We all have to hold the winner up, right, in the air, right? And you can't see me, I'm hiding at the back. <laughs> Blacked up. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I thought it was the end. And it was. <laughs> oh, dear. So, no, no, I can't question that. No, I, I can't see that it, you know, for some people, if, the, if it was a disaster when you went on there, like any television, it can make you or break you. So if, you, if, it's, if it's a, your performance doesn't go down well for whatever the reasons are, then obviously a lot, a lot of people see it. So I used to do uh, jokes like, um, you know, I went on, because um, I, I did go on op Opportunity Knocks in uh, about 1972 or three with the lad from Butlins. And um, I said, we did that well. It, we had eight months work canceled. 
because you know, like, it was so it was so shit. Everyone was making oh, not having them, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> dreadful. Uh, oh, you can't win them all, can you? No, no, absolutely. Uh, okay. So uh, during the eighties and nineties, you worked with the legendary Danny the Roo in the theatre. What sort of grounding did this give you in entertainment? It taught me a lot. That did. <laughs> well, first of all, Danny was very strict, and he was very um, wary of uh, comedians being on his show because if they're doing well, they do longer spots. And if they're not doing so well, they cut it down. And when you've got a production show and it's uh, all about timing. So I'd heard all about this uh, when they booked me on the strength of this New Faces performance. And I had the chance to work out a spot that was kind of, it's hard to do it, but I think I had um, something like uh, 12 minutes on the show, apart from the other bits in the show. But my own spot was about 12 minutes. So I kept, the first thing I did was give the bloke in the wings, Jeffrey, that was um, his right-hand man, and I said, time me from the minute I walk on to the minute I walk off. And when I come off, I'd done 12 minutes. <laughs> right. And so they were right chuffed with me then. I was kind of, uh, you know, they made me really welcome. But the other thing it taught me, which was um, the strangest experience, I was the only straight one in the show. So, um, and it was a really hot summer and all the girls were beautiful, tall, leggy, beautiful dancers. And they're all walking about backstage with no clothes on and things uh, because all the boys are gay. Well, that kind of, I got used to it after about two months. And, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so that was a bit of an education, and then I toured with them and all that, and it was it, uh, it was hilarious, the things that happened and stuff, and Danny and everything, and we did become friends. You know, I was grateful for all that. It, it was nice to be given a chance, because it's a tough decision for the top of the bill to have who you're going to have on your show, isn't it, I would think. Yeah. Hmm. So, but, uh, yeah, I was grateful for that. I've forgotten what the question was, but um, I did, you know, that... That new faces thing transported me from those working men's clubs. You know, hey, oh, now then, hey, about three spots. Used to do three spots and all that. Into suddenly I'm with an orchestra and <laughs> do you know what I mean? Oh, no, it was great. But because of my upbringing, I took to it like a duck to water. Because you know, I, I, my mum had a big dancing school and I used to get roped in as a kid. So I've been here all my life. So it wasn't a massive, and I used to be a stagehand at Leeds Grand, and I've always loved the theatre, so it wasn't a hop, step and a jump for me to um, make the transition onto a, a theatre. So for some people, it's very, very daunting. You know, if you're only used to doing little gigs and stuff, um, it's, it's uh, scary. You know, when you walk out. It's, it's good for constipation, though. And, um, you know, like I say, it keeps you regular. <laughs> it's better than working <laughs> which I'm not <clears throat> oh so, um, you also worked with Cannon and Ball can you explain the secret of their success in theatre and why do you think television has always struggled to capture the unique relationship between them um, bless you Josh once again well it's hard for me to comment on 
other people and they're both friends of mine so um but what i do know and there was a thing on telly the other night about dublax falling out and things and i know that they fell out but i've just toured in a play with uh, tommy cannon and i've loved every minute of it he's an absolute gentleman he, he never you never used to know him when i toured with him tommy was always out the dressing room and gone at the end of the night so you never kind of got to know him bobby was the one and he'd be right difficult and all that and demanding with Bobby, uh, the funny man, of course. Um, but so I've got to know Tommy as well. And um, it was only the other day when he rung me up to ask me how I were doing, bless him, which I really appreciated. Um, I think as a double act, it's very, very difficult, isn't it? You know, because uh, that was one of the reasons why eventually I went on my own because uh, I had a double act with this fellow that we left Butlins with Andrew uh, Beaumont, who was lovely, who was sadly no longer with, longer with us. Um, a great lad and very, very talented. He went on to do other things. Um, it was a comedy he didn't like. And then uh, I finished up with my girlfriend and we had like a song and dance act and we went round for a bit. And it, all the work was coming in, but I thought I don't want to spend the rest of my life with her. <laughs> I was going to be tied up with her, but like getting married. So I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to jack it in. So I managed to get her into a trio of girls, and they went off on a cruise ship and never come back. Right, so that was great. That meant I had to do something. So I finished up biting the bullet and going on my own. And I, you know, so that was I went on my own. And, uh, but I, I sang and I tap danced and I played uh, guitar and banjo. And um, I didn't do any comedy at all. I was just more of an um, entertainer, if you called it that. And it was funny because um, one of the first nights, the, my mother, um, bless her, gave me this routine, which was a, a, a magician's routine where you had a balsa wood dancing cane, right, a cane, but you, you know, a cane. But it's on a piece of cat gut, what you can't see. So you can do this routine with the cane and it's called the dancing cane. And if you get it right, you can actually spin the cane slowly. So it comes back into your hand and all that. It, look, if the lighting's right, you know, and you can't see the, the, the cane, it's only dead light it is. So I got all one of them and I learned all this routine, right? And my mother taught me this dance. And it were, uh, the song was called Without My Walking Stick, I'd Go Insane. Can't look my best, I'd be undressed without my cane. And then it go da 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 the walking stick got wrapped around the mic stand and went spinning, spinning around the mic stand, right? And I couldn't get it off. Well, the audience were just falling about laughing. <laughs> so I tried to keep it in, but I couldn't make it. I couldn't make it work. But I suddenly thought, that's what I want to do. I want to make them laugh. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And I'm not good enough to be serious. <laughs> <laughs> no, then. So the, the comedy gradually took over, and also at the backing in the clubs was crap. So I. Or a lot of it, not all of it, um, um, some of it. Um, so we tap dancing and things, so you'd have to miss it out, out of your spot, so which meant you'd, uh, you'd have to have a bit of time to fill. So I'd tell a joke, and gradually the jokes started to, I found it very powerful, and that started taking over. So one day I woke up and I was a comedian. God knows I am, and I still don't think I'm a comedian. 
People call me one. I'm a comedy entertainer, I would call myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I knock old comic that's out of work, doing no. Allotments are starting to look attractive. I'm getting that old. I don't even... <laughs> I don't even look like my photos anymore. I haven't worked for five months. All I can remember is good evening. <laughs> <laughs> what chance am I going to stand? <laughs> okay, oh, sorry, uh, I, I go off on a tangent. Yeah, which right. to... you, you carry on, yeah, keep on talking. It's all oh, so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot what the question was. Uh, it's something about um, talent. I've had a question before, or Danny LaRue. Bless yeah. Danny. Oh, Danny. Yeah, it's all right. We'll, we'll move on to the next one. It's no problem. Yeah. Um, so, in 1989, you secured your own BBC One series. You must be joking. Oh. What sort of accolade is it to head up your own comedy vehicle? Oh, um, well, that was a disaster, really. So, um, it, it, it wasn't my own comedy vehicle. It started off, um, they were always looking for like a vehicle to put me in and all that but I always kind of miss the boat because comedy moved on and I was more of the old-fashioned type comedy so and so um, I, I did a pilot for Thames and that were awful and I think the song I sang at the end was um, didn't we almost have it all because <laughs> you're right I sang that at the end it was so true you know that's as close as I got so then the next thing was this uh, you got you got to be joking it were called and it was um, based on like Rowan and Martin's lapping, you know, fast food comedy, you know, people sticking their head out of windows and shouting a joke out, stuff like that. And um, so we did it. We got, oh, but first of all, it was just me. And then it was me and Shane Ritchie. So when I went to the, the meeting, Shane Ritchie sat there. I was like, what are you doing this? Like, what are you doing here? None of us had been told that we all thought it were our show. And then after that meeting, another three people came on board, which were George uh, Marshall, um, girl called, oh God bless her, and, uh, and um, <laughs> God, I'm getting old. My memory's bad, you know, my memory's, this is how bad my memory is. I were had up in court the other day, and the judge said, Mr. Pierce, I said, what? I said, I can't remember where I'm here, where I'm here. He said, I'm going to tell you where you are. I said, I'm off. I can't remember. I said, but my memory's bad. I can't remember anything. I can't remember. My memory's bad. He said, I'll tell you why you're here then. You're here because on June the 19th, last year, you were seen speeding through the middle of Leeds on the roof rack of the Bobo estate, making love to a one-legged dwarf, blowing a, blowing, blowing a penny whistle and flicking peanuts at passers-by. <laughs> I said, what was the date again? Never mind. So, um, yeah, so I can't remember what the question is again because I can't. <laughs> 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 uh, you should uh, be. I think you pretty much answered it. It's all right. You, you sort of covered it. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so despite TV success, you've always remained loyal to the theatre and live audiences. Why is this so important to you? Well, I never ever, I wasn't ever comfortable doing television, really. Um, it, it was never my cup of tea. 
when we first started doing it, there were cameras whizzing round, you know, between you and the audience and stuff like that. And you've got to look at that camera there and that camera there, and you've got to ignore the audience. Now, it, it was natural for me to play to the live people in the audience, not the three or four million that might be watching at home. So I was never that clever, really. And you know what I mean? I just, there's nothing like being, when it's live, you know, oh, um, you know, the moments mm. I've been lucky enough to have, they're great. And I'm much happier, actually. I've answered your question, really. I'm just much happier playing yeah. to live audiences than I am in a TV studio. You know, we went down to do one of these Christmas things. It was all about um, uh, what goes horribly, you know, one of these what, so all I've got to say is, uh, well, I think that. And, and so, we goes, oh, wait, me and Kez, my wife, all went down to London. <laughs> and um, it was the hottest day of the year, <laughs> last year. And I finished up, sat, this is in a house with a camera, with a Christmas jumper on in front of a log fire, right? When all the crew were stood in their underpants and everything, right? The sweat is pouring off you. It's so kind of false, isn't it, live telly? You have to do all that because it's not Christmas. It, it wasn't actually the hottest day, but all that, were a lot of it, were filmed. You know, we were all sat there boiling up. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it happens a lot now, doesn't it? Yeah, and then what, what other thing they do is go, right, go on, be funny. Yeah. You need to wait for ages. Yeah. And then off you go. Yeah. And you've got like three minutes or something to try and make somebody laugh. Yeah. My dad used to say, if you, if you can make one person laugh, you're shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so it's easy to forget now, but when you had your first taste of success during the mid-80s, the entertainment landscape was very different. The so-called alternative comedy was now into its second decade and comedy became like rock and roll with people like Lee Evans and the Mighty Boosh playing in big stadiums. In what yeah. ways did your generation, like yourself, Pasquale, Bradley Walsh, Shane Ritchie, Bobby Davro, Barry Moore, Brian Conley, etc., make traditional comedy relevant for the 21st century Britain? Well, I think... Uh to varying degrees, we've all had difficulty with that. I think that you've grown up in one way and um, it's hard to so-called change. For me, it's no big deal because like I, I think for people who've been a big star, it would be very, very difficult to come down, you know, once um, awful things have happened to, you know, people just getting to push and all that all of a sudden and work drying up and all that. So it, it goes full circle, it's like now, isn't it? But, so for everybody, all us people, yes, but there was always an audience for us. There was always, so for me, it wasn't no big deal to never wanted to do telly anyway, but, but for me, there was always my audience. So I was quite happy with that and just changing my act as much as I could. I mean, the clubs, some of the harder gigs that I do, which, you know, I wouldn't be rude to them because they pay me to go there, but, um, you know, not many people could could do them. I, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but you know, there are venues, and then it keeps you sharp. And I'm a, I'm not an observational comic, but I do do some you know some you know big chunks of my own stuff, and I'm pleased when it works. But I'm happy with the 
with my gags as well. You know, I like walking out and hitting them as hard as I can, with, you know, to get them laughing. Once you've got them laughing, you can you can go off on a bit of a thing. But so for, for me, it's, uh, um, I still en I enjoy it. I think I'm sharper. Now, I think the audiences have changed uh, more than us. Like these places that I'm talking about, they're pissed before they get there. And they're getting there at eight o'clock at night and they're probably taking loads of drugs and everything before they've even got there and got half a bottle of, a yeah. bottle of their handbag. And that's, that's just the men. Pig on the bar as an air freshener, you know, one of them. Even the camera's got a broken leg. I've been I've been pulled off walking on. You know, I was on with a fella the other night, and he was um he was a female impersonator. And I, th I think he was from Lancashire because he had a wig and a dress. So, um, when I interviewed Joe Pasquale, he said that you dared him. To I hate him. He's horrible. Don't, don't talk to me about him. What a vile man he is. <laughs> You dared him to sing the now infamous <coughs> I Know A Song that'll get on your nerves. Oh, God, How no. much credit do you take for that? I don't take any credit for, bless him. Uh, Joel, when, I've been, have you heard of a, a blues guy called John Mayo? There's a blues guy, uh, if you look him up on internet, John Mayo, and he's gone round, he's never been a star, but loads of people, guitarists, have gone on to be stars that work with him like Eric Clapton and people like that, right? So I call myself the John Mayall of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe, bless him, I'm so proud of him and what he's achieved because when he first started with me, he had bugger all, a knackered old van that used to break down and stuff and I loved him to pick, I loved him then and I love him even more now. Um, because He's never changed towards me. I, you know, he's just a lovely, lovely man. And um, so I'm right proud of him. And it was so off the wall. And the laughs that we used to have when we were working together. I've forgotten the question, really. Um, but um, So he's a superstar to me. Joe. So well, I don't know what the question was. Ask me a question again. <laughs> it was just about how much credit do you take for... Oh, I've got a song. Get on, you know. Yeah, uh, well, I don't remember if he's given me credit for that. I'm, I'm, God bless him, but um, I think he was doing that um, in, in one of our uh, right at the beginning. You know, talking to Butlins, he was a Butlins red coat with Joe. And when I went to Bogner or somewhere, he, he made me a cup of tea. <laughs> Joe Pasquale, because <laughs> you know, he just packed up being a red coat, but he was there to look after me and all that. Bless him, that's how long I've known him. Yeah. Nobody'd take a chance on him but me. <laughs> Tell him that. Yeah. Oh. So, no, uh, uh, he's a lovely bloke, but um, um, I can't say that I've had any influence on him. Um, he, he might have done a few gags that I've given him and stuff like that, but he's his own guy, Joe. He's totally off the wall. The way he thinks and everything is totally different, but we, we just, 
I don't know. It's hard. You've got a bond, haven't you? But everybody loves Joe. He's one of those guys. He's one of those guys that everybody loves. He's got a great sense of humour and all that. I didn't tell you. I went to see him in the play in Arrogance, and he had um, bruises in places where some people haven't got places. And um, but he'd also um, got a problem <laughs> with, his, um, with his. I didn't tell you this with his pile. Anyway, he, um, I said it quick. British. He showed. He showed me him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to kiss it better, but I've got to say, but um, <laughs> uh, but moving on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, how yeah, no, I've got lots of stories like that, mate. <laughs> you want me to ask me what have I got to lose? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. uh, a friend. That's what I've got to lose. Yeah. <laughs> dear, dear friend, a close friend. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not seeing much of each other, but you know. Yeah. Like Bobby Gabriel and people like that, you know, I'm, you know. Mm. I had a, a, a day when I spoke to loads of people, it, when they cancelled the Panto, when it was definitely, that was it, so loads of people was ringing me up. And it cheered me up, actually. Good. Like I say, Tommy Cannon, you know, Joe, Bobby Gabriel, you, you know, lo loads of people, just people from the theatre and all that, all ringing up saying, how oh, are you, you're all right, and all that, yeah. I've known about it for ages. I just couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> One of them. Secret. In the secret. Yeah. Uh, so, how important was Des O'Connor in giving entertainers like yourself a TV platform? Well, um, it was great. Um, uh, going back to what I was saying before about being nervous on television. So, I did a couple of Des O'Connors and I did all right. I was never so nervous. I'd got it all planned and everything. So, uh, then he asked me to do another one and I talking about writing me on stuff so I did this thing about the, the hotel and the concierge and um, uh, would you like to um, the, the, getting the words croissant and concierge mixed up and go um, don't, Somehow I can't go in, it went out, going outside and it in the dorm, and, you know, because it got them all mixed up. Anyway, I did it on the thing, on the show. I got it all mixed up and they had to stop and start about two or three times. I'd never done that before. And the, the, the worse it, the, the more I cocked it up, the more nervous I, obviously I became. My confidence went and everything and all like that. So they cut it to a minimum and that was it. I didn't hear anything for about three years. And then suddenly my phone rang. And um, um, hello, Des here, <laughs> Des O'Connor. And he asked me to go, he rung me up and asked me to go on. Um, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how, how that happened. But anyway, I went on and he asked me, it's, it's, will you do those, um, uh, the mother-in-law gags and the thing and all that? He said, he asked me, what, told me what gags he would, he'd like me to do. And I went on and of course it was all right. So, um, um, I mean, he was massive. 
you know, so to me, that was great. He was kind to me, very nice, and uh, great with, um, only thinking about Freddie Starr. I mean, look what happened with him, with Des, it, it was great, and, um, uh, you know, loads of people have been lucky enough to go on there. John, Johnny Casson was another one who did really well on Des, and all that was, you know, I'm a big admirer of him. He's a great comedian, Johnny. So that's my answer, really. Um, thank you very much, Des. <laughs> uh, with a bit of luck, you'll soon be back on the road with your new tour, Funny Guy. What can we expect? <laughs> well, I've no idea at the moment. Um, oh, well, uh, funnily enough, I've got these um, because I've been down in the depths uh, recently. Uh, you know, my moods have been up and down like prostitutes' knickers, and I don't know whether it's worth even thinking about it or what kind of how it's going to be. I've got this nightmare of just people socially distancing with masks on and I'm going to go out with a, a mask on with it all cut out so I can talk. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, and you start thinking, about, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do it? And there will be ways and means around it. And, and also I've been thinking about what's funny about it all? What's funny about coronavirus? And there isn't much that's funny. You know, I've been, uh, you know, I've, I've been um, isolating because of me. I've had no, I've got no spleen and all that. And, um, I had a motorbike crash when I was 16. Well, I was actually jumping 14 motorbikes in a double-decker bus and somebody rang the bell. <laughs> um, uh, so I've been stuck in here, but it was all right at first, but it's kind of getting um, boring and worrying. And I think when it's going to hit me is in the depths of winter when I'm not going to Panto, you know, every day, doing two shows a day which has been a massive part of my life. And that's going to be, I'm going to find that, I think, a bit hard. And of course, the money side of it, you know, we've got, we're, we're living on savings, so it's not going to last forever. It's, it, it's, a, it's hard to think of anything funny about it. But the, I've still got clubs and stuff left in my diary that um, I should have been, what day is it now, Friday? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I should have been at Fever tonight in Blackpool. That's where I should have been. Um, uh, but obviously, uh, no chance. And I've worked for ages, so I've no idea. Um, I think it's going to be different. It'll be a different way of working. I've been thinking about things that I do when I actually work in the audience, and I go up to people and I kiss ladies' hands and things like that, and those kinds of things. Um, which obviously, if I, if it was a socially distanced show, you wouldn't be able to do any of that. Yeah. You know, but I, I still, even at my age, I can, I'll fall off stage and things like that. And, but, you know, only because I'm blind and I keep, I keep missing it. <laughs> oh, allotments are getting attractive now. I can't pass one without dribbling. I can't tell you where from. <laughs> oh, you know when you're getting old when you walk in a room? You can't remember why you've gone in there, and it's the toilet. <laughs> it's too late. So for some lad policy with the free Parker pen, I can't find it. <laughs> uh, you know my favourite? You'll like this. Right, this, right. I'll tell you this. This is a gift. It's not my gag, but I love it. I'm old, and I get my letter from the um, NHS saying I've got to go and have one of these uh, prostate exams, right? 
You know, when you get over 50, you've got to have a prostrate. Yeah. So I go to the hospital and they showed me in this room eventually and they got to take all my clothes off and put the gown on. And, they, and then they bent me on this table, right? They bent me on this table and drew the curtains around. And a man, and a, a man in a white coat come in and put her open glove on. And it wasn't too bad at first. I think it was just the one thing. But then they drew a couple of fingers and, oh, they're getting, I was, I was biting the end of the bed. Tears, <laughs> you know, it was all for pain, you know. Anyway, he stood up. He stood up, he said, there doesn't seem to be a problem. And, it, and he walked out. And as he walked out, the nurse come in and she said, who were that? <laughs> so, uh, looking back at your career, what's your proudest achievement? <laughs> you killed him with that one. <laughs> That's all right, no, don't worry about it. Um, what, what's your proudest achievement looking back in your career? Ooh. Uh, 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 well, uh, once, uh, uh, n nobody ever saw it, but I managed to get a tape of it and I've lent somebody it and I've never got it back. So I can't even prove that it happened. But years ago, uh, it were VE Day celebrations, and it were, I can't remember what year it was, and I was kind of doing all right on the telly and stuff. And um, it was the man that used to do Young Generation, Dougie Squires, asked me uh, to sing a couple of songs in the celebrations on a massive stage in Hyde Park. So I went um, to learn the routine, and it were, um, uh, what, uh, what kind of fool am I who never fell in love? And it went into uh, it, were all from um, Stop the World, Want to Get Off the musical. It were all about British musicals. So I sang that and uh, were uh, gonna build a mountain. And I rehearsed it with a bloke in a cellar in a piano on a piano, right? We didn't have internet and all that, I had to go down to London. Anyway, when it comes to the day, it was huge. There was 130,000 people there. These massive screens at either stage, a full massive orchestra. I'd only rehearsed with the piano. There was a 300-piece gospel choir behind me. And the stars that were my backing vocalists were just, it were unbelievable. It, it were um, uh, somebody, Kennedy, that used to be from all the um, summertime specials and all that. She was brilliant, that musical star. Oh, just look, I can't think now, Glory Honeyford put me on and all this, all these stars went before me and all that, when I, I went out, I was absolutely petrified. What kind of fool am I who never seems to And then into, we're uh, going to build it and all this gospel choir come in. And I hit this note, I've never hit, I hit this note at the end. I, I couldn't hit it now, no way I could hit it. I would have hit it then. And I turned round and the whole, Gospel choir were clapping me, man. They were clapping me. I couldn't, I wanted to stay on forever. <laughs> Somebody, they all went, everybody went off. You know, the next person, I'm still there like that. Somebody got hold of my elbow and dragged me off. I were on cloud nine that night. Yeah. 
No, they, they, they took me back to a tent and I had to meet uh, Prince Philip and um, the Queen and all that. They said, you've got to stand there like you're eating a volleyball and a glass of wine. <laughs> and then uh, you haven't got to look at them and everything. They come around and say hello to you. All standing up in, in a tent, mm -hmm. in a tent with a balcony. And um, <laughs> so it was one of them, it was one of them, that was a, a funny night, but nobody ever saw it. But of course, I think probably Children's Royal, uh, when I were um, uh, Billy Jones, Indiana Jones's brother, and he had a large part in um, writing his significant. And the whole thing lasted about three hours on the night, and they cut it down to about, you know, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours. Um, take that with the top of the bill. And um, it was funny, man, because when they walked in, take that, everything stopped. We're all at middle rehearsals, and take that, they walk in, and they've got security and everything everywhere. And they all say hello, they're right nice lads and everything. I spoke to one in cafe, I were in cafe, and I thought I knew his face. You know what I mean? We were chatting for ages. So, um, I get up on stage and uh, uh, there, and we're all rehearsing. And Gary Barlow walks on stage, and everything stops. And he, can't do and he says hello to everybody. And he says, oh, Hello, Billy. And I went, oh, Hello, Gary. He said, Are you still doing the thing with the dog that pisses on the audience and that? Do you still do that and all that? And I went, I went How do you know that? He said, I, I played for you at um, <laughs> um, what would it call? Um, I can't remember what it was called. It would have uh, like a a big club, a rugby club in um, like Salford, Salford, somewhere like that. It's gone now, the club. And I remember it, he came, he was like 16, and he played it back me on keyboards, and he remembered, he remembered me, bless him, Gary Barlow, huh? Yeah, amazing. So it, it, it was great night, and that was a great night. And uh, Princess Margaret come on at the end, and I had to hold the whole thing together because they went wild. When uh, Take That come on, the cameras got knocked over and everything, they, they went absolutely mad. And I had to kind of uh, go on and stop it and everything, calm it all down and stuff, which obviously was never went out. So I was kingpin that night. I was bit, that was the, that was my peak of my career. And when I come off, I can remember uh, uh, Bradley Walsh. Um, bless him, he's lovely, Bradley. Don't get me wrong. And I went, "How did you get this?" <laughs> that was the first thing he said. <laughs> How did you get this? I went, "Well, uh, well, I suppose it was Laurie and you know international artists and all that." But anyway, that would end a bit now. I went downhill after that, look, really. That's <laughs> it, really. Uh, I mean, uh, proudest, that's it, probably. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've won awards and stuff in past, like, in, you know, when they're like fishermen's trophies, you know, in clubs. You know, when you've won the best thing imaging in a working men's club. Yeah. And all that, you know, I had a shed full of them. They were all dropping to pieces with the damp. <laughs> no, but I'm proud of all them, you know, and cut glass things, you know, with, with, I've still got one in me, I've got a brandy glass in my cupboard now, and it says HWD1982, uh, and it's uh, Eddie Woolen District, <laughs> you know, like, right, Yorkshire, and uh, you know, when they used to do all, make all woolen mills, uh, now then. And we used to do all clubs and social clubs. Every Woolen District Social Club winner, Brandy Glass, 1982. Yeah, but I've still got it, and I'm still proud of it. <laughs> I've got all sorts, really. Yeah. Somebody came round my house, and this is gospel truth about uh, what happened to all the people that were on New Faces. And uh, 25 years later, it was. So the bloke come round filming me, and I've got a room in my house, and there's all bits and stuff. Uh, only one room. I don't have it everywhere, but there's stuff. 
that, have, that mean something to me in the past about my career and stuff. So there's all bits and bads. So the bloke, and I've got an award for this and a, a thing, a British Comedy Award and all that. I'm proud of them. Um, you know, I did have, everybody's forgotten, but I did actually win them. I beat, um, I beat uh, Michael Barrymore and Ken Dodd <laughs> for best live theatre performer. But anyway, um, the bloke um, says, what's your prep, the best thing you've ever done? And it pans around and I go, point at my wife, point at my wife me, on my marriage day with my son. And that's the most best thing I've ever done. Yeah. The rest of it means bugger all, really. But it, 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 it's great to be able to say that I've done it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Josh is just asking, what did you make of Dougie Squires? Because Josh interviewed him a couple of years ago. Oh, well, um, I've got like two, two different stages in my life. When, when I was a kid, my mum had a, a programme on telly with a bloke called Jesse Yates, Paulie Yates' dad. And uh, they had a, pr a programme on telly called Junior Showtime, which was like a variety show for kids. With the, and it was fronted by a bloke called Bobby Bennett. And there was a lot of famous, like Rosemary Ford were in it, and um, um, Jack, uh, what do they call him, Jack Wilde, that were in Oliver and all them. You know, uh, Joe Longthorne, my mother auditioned all, they found all these people. Uh, that went on to better things. Catherine Panovich, she was a radio presenter. But, you know, various people over the years. I, I always missed the boat. I was a bit old for that. Um, and um, what was the question again? Uh, uh, there, there wasn't one, really. You, you were just uh, telling us about it. Um, <laughs> it was just, what did you think of Dougie Squires? Oh, <laughs> that was it. Of course, Dougie Squires. Yeah. Well, um, the, the kids that were in Junior Showtime, some of them, the really talented dancers, they, they went on into Young Generation and the New Generation and all that. Uh, they, and they had to be really good. And Dougie Spires was a great um, choreographer at the time. So a lot of the stuff, when they used to have um, dancers in variety shows on telly, so a lot of them were his... Uh, in fact, he had his own show on telly at one point. So, um, you know, it was, it was massive, but... You know, obviously very kind to me, I think, but probably because of my mum, you know, my mum's son and dad had seen me somewhere. And I mean, he asked me to sing. That was the thing, uh, not be a comedian. That was a beauty of it for me. And he asked me to sing um, and stand there in front of all those people and sing, which is, to be honest, it's a lot easier than trying to make them laugh. <laughs> 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 if they don't like you, just carry on singing, you know, but... Yeah. It's when they start chucking stuff, man. <clears throat> I once got hit on the head with a tomato and it was still in the tin. We've reached a last question. Um, Josh always ends most of his interviews with this. It is, what's next for Billy Pearce? Uh, probably go out when the wind's dropped and um, 
cut my grass again and fucking um, okay, what else? <laughs> I have no idea. I, I have no idea. Um, I think, uh, as we've already mentioned before, it's going to be a totally different business. It might be something, for, for me, I think it's going to be something I can do at home like this. Um, obviously, that's not going to make me any money. So at some point, I'm going to have to try and make some money. Um, so uh, I could unload all my equipment out of the van and go as uh, pieces like removals. Um, so that's one idea. Um, um, the, the other thing is, um, I've got a little studio in the house and I do love music and I could, could probably go back to that. I've left it alone for a long time and I enjoy writing and singing. So uh, that would uh, take me away from um, worrying too much. And the other thing is I've got a database that you might be interested in that I've done only me on my own, um, uh, which is comedy. And up to now, I've managed to categorise 28,000 jokes and you can find what you... So you want a joke about a pregnant zebra, you can find it. So, but it needs a bit more work on it and stuff like that. But, you know, I thought because there's that much stuff on the internet, there's no point. You know, you can find a gag about whatever you want, but it wouldn't be as quick as this. And what I want to do is work, try and work it with a thick thread. Is anybody out there? Work it, instead of finding a word, one word or looking for a zebra or wife or that. So I say it was wife, it would look for, uh, have a run alongside a theosaurus. <laughs> so it would, uh, I sound awfully posh, don't I? A theosaurus. So uh, it would say, uh, you know, wedding, um, spouse, uh, bride, you know, but all, all the uh, d divorce. I've been married twice, my first wife died, and this won't want. Do you know, when I first got married, her parents promised me four acres of land and a cow. I never got the land. <laughs> she said to me the other day, she said, I, I seem to be putting, during the lockdown, I, I seem to be putting loads of weight on, what can I do? I said, well, don't eat anything fatty. She said, well, I don't really. I said, no, I meant don't eat anything. <laughs> 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 My favourite one, Luke, throughout this is one banana. So I came back from the shops, I said, I've got some Olympic condoms. She said, I've never heard of them. What does that mean? I said, the gold, silver, or bronze. And tonight, especially for you, I am going to put a gold one on. She said, put the silver one on. It'd be nice if you came second for a change. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I'll, I'll have a bash at that and try and you know write some stuff and um, come up with bits and put uh, my cards out and that's a bit like what Bob Monkhouse did. Yes, um, it, it is. Um, and in fact, if, if you are uh, interested, if you start studying comedy, it's ever so boring. I mean, you can't understand why people laugh for the start off. Well, I mean, what is funny? Um, the, but I've got these cards, like, they're like um, playing cards, like a deck of playing cards, and the, the, with the cue cards, I call them. And uh, so I write my own act out on these cards. So it's, it's about two and a half hours of stuff, and it's like that. So, but I can lay them all out on the floor 
all around the thing and all that. I can check that bit out and put that bit there. I can change that and that, that you know, I can see it. They're all in a line, like a washing line. And I can see where the high bits are and the low bits. And I can move it all around. So that's how I do it. Which you can't do that on a computer. You can't see it all laid out like that. So I still like the old-fashioned way. Yeah. I like the old-fashioned way. The thing is, I've got to tell you a funny story right quick. So I'm on Viva at Blackpool, right, which is a cabaret venue, like the old Batman Variety Club type thing. And the follow spot's right in your face. So I'm on there, and I've got to behave because the kid's in, right? But I, I, so I don't want to say anything. Because the kid's in, I've got to be careful, you know, horses for courses. So uh, there I am on the stage, and I get halfway through my act, and not, I've got the cue cards, and I put them in the wings, right, on a set of drums in the wings. So I got, so I forgot my act. I've never done it before, completely gone. I didn't even have a backup. So there I am. Has he gone for a wee? No, just shut the door. Uh, so I thought, well, I said, I'm ever so sorry, I forgot my act, right? So they're all laughing, thinking I'm having a joke and all that. So no, I have, I've forgotten it. So I go in the wings to get my cards. So I get my cards, take the rubber band off them, and I've got the microphone in my hand, and I couldn't shuffle through the cards because I've got the mic in my hand. And not only that, it was dark. And not only that, my eyesight's bad. I keep running into pubs. And um, so I can't see the cards. So I go, I go back out. I go back out. I go back out. I'm on the stage, right? And I'm, I'm still lost. And I've got the cards in the end. And I saw an empty seat next to this woman at the front. So I go down and sit, sits down in the audience with the woman at the front. And I says to her, Will you just hold this microphone up to my mouth, right? Well, I have a look at these cards. So she held my microphone up like that. So I'm saying, so where are you from, love? And I had a bit of a laugh and a joke, but then I put chuckle through my cards still. But then it just gave me that breather. My cards didn't help me, actually, but I got back into it at some point. It must have been over the end of my act or whatever, but I got back into it. So at the end of the night, I, I, as I took my bows and everything, did about an hour and ten, I goes down, gets the cards and walks off and everything. So the fellow that owns the club comes in the dressing room and he goes, um, that new bit in the act was fucking brilliant. <laughs> well played. <laughs> he thought it was he thought it was real. Yeah. He thought it was real. I said, no, man, I tell you what, I, oh, I, ne I nearly carried on walking and just walked out the door and gone, do you know what I mean? Go, what do you do? That's your worst nightmare, isn't it? If the door goes. Mm, absolutely. Can't help getting old, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Is there uh, anything else? Uh, I've enjoyed this, loves. I hope I haven't yeah. been too boring. I, I did have a chill yeah. laugh before we started, so I'm, that probably gave me a bit of a... And I'm, obviously I haven't been out for ages. In fact, the wife's just bought me a cap so I can look out the window. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's been good, thank you. Appreciate your time. Well done to you and Thank you to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you liked this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy? 